Yes, but in episode number 17, Han said this. I want to play video games all day and make money. A planet that big has to have oscillators. Of course it does. <laughs> Hello, welcome to the Geek Quorum. It's a fracking podcast. Yes, it is. It's a fracking podcast about sci-fi, fantasy, and gaming topics. I'm Brian. Also joining me is... Michelle. And Burn. You can find us on the web at geekquorum.com or galacticacorum.com. We serve both as uh, that's the podcast we first started with was Galactica Quorum, and we're still kind of posting to that. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook if you look up Geek Quorum or Galactica Quorum. That's probably the best place to leave messages and things like that. But you can also send us an email at gquorum at gmail.com. That's spelled G-Q-U-O-R-U-M. And our phone number is... 301-358-5175. It's so funny how, after all these years, I can still write all that off without looking at a piece of paper. So It's amazing. It is amazing. This week, we're going to be talking yet again about uh, a Star Wars movie. First, though, uh, it's kind of been fun that we've been uh, talking about gaming the last few weeks. And I think we have some, some gaming updates to roll into. Hey, how was gaming night? Pfft, huge, Did nobody come? Huge washout. It was just me and Dimitri. <laughs> That's and what my, I figured. And my son. We played uh, Carcassonne, and that was about it. Yeah, but Dimitri's fun. Yeah, that was fine. I just, you know, I had a whole lineup of stuff I was going to do, and we... I know. It all went out the window, so... I promise what, what, I will be at the next your, um, What games were you going to play? Uh, well, I was going to show uh, X-Wing... I don't know because I was going to say pandemic, but we've, I think our new goal is to play something we have not played before. So we've played pandemic. Like Battlestar Galactica? Yes. Yes, <laughs> actually. But uh, I actually got a game that's, because uh, Battlestar Galactica, the board game, is like a, it's one of those three to four hour time commitments. I got a game over Christmas that was uh, based, a couple years ago, they came out with, a game that was called BSG Express. And it was like someone took BSG board game and condensed it so that you could play it in an hour. Anyway, it was popular and it used to be something you could just find online. You print out a PDF for the rules and all the little things and stuff, but they actually turned it into a board game with actual box and, you know, cardboard and stuff and rethemed it and retitled it to uh, another game. Now it's called Dark Moon. And uh, so I have that. And it's supposed to be pretty good. So I think that's a nice little introduction of you know, that type of game where you've got several people working cooperatively and then one or more people start secretly becoming traitors. So there's that. And uh, what else can we play? There's um... Hey, did you know? did you know that you can play video games all day and stream them on Twitch and make money? I've learned this recently and I'm fascinated by it. Are there any um, people you watch or follow? I want, yeah, most of the people I watch, they play um, Battlefront. Yep. Do you watch Massive? No, I don't know who that is. He, ha- he has a very deep voice with great gravitas. <laughs> if He's you great, watch anybody actually. that you really like, send, them, send me the link because I'm trying to find new people to watch. I'll send you. And, and you can find it all on YouTube as well because that's where he streams mostly. It's not on Twitch. Yeah, because but Twitch I was I was thinking real. about this actually. This is this is for real, Michelle. Because if you have a PS4, uh huh, we we could have a geek quorum 
streaming community and gaming. I do community. have a PS4. Well, there I you go. I just don't necessarily play on it often, but I do have one. We'll see. Now, what I'm saying <laughs> is, we could stream. We could play Battlefront Geek Quorum style. My son is his head's about to explode. <laughs> <laughs> I want to play video games all day and make money. Right. <laughs> that's the, the that's the dream. True. That's the dream. It really is. Hasn't it always been the dream? Yeah. <laughs> for sure. Yeah, see I don't watch the Twitch gamer stuff. Maybe if there's a game that I really was into that I I could follow that. what players. I watch actually is the complete opposite of of those type of games is I watch battle reports of X-Wing tabletop games which are slow and like moderated by someone almost like you know as if it was on like the, the sports uh, cast like a sports cast it's like oh well, what are they gonna do in this turn oh well they could do this and they could do that and, and it's it's all very wonderful and uh but is it's kind of like watching the magic the gathering tournament on espn2 god there's such is that what it's like okay yes. when i was in college and we had ESPN2. They actually had a Magic the Gathering tournament on ESPN2. I was shocked by this. It was rather entertaining. That's pretty cool. That's cool. I, 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 and I had no idea. That's pretty legit. I do the same thing, Brian. Although I've, I've, I think I've watched it all. Now whenever <laughs> I – it's all gone. Hmm. I watch Team Covenant. Oh, I do too. They're awesome. They're great. Yep. Okay, now you got to send me the link to that. I must know. Right. I will. Because I've watched, you know, I watched Tabletop with Will Wheaton, but, you know, yeah. they edit it in such a way so it doesn't, you know, it they doesn't correct. take up your entire life watching it. The best one, the, probably the first one I saw was the World Championship from 2013, 2013. And that was, I believe, on Team Covenant. It was the finals of the X-Wing World Championship. Look that one up. It's a great game goes back and forth and it's one of the best games i've ever seen that's the one that got me super hooked i was already playing the game at the time but i was like wow that now i see that there's really so much more to that can happen yeah brian i think you would really like battlefront oh i'm sure i would oh you'd love it i used to love the game i played to death like i don't know how many hours how many months of my life i probably have sunk into playing quake 2 online i played that one Oh my gosh, that's so long ago. So long ago, but I played so much of that game online. It was just, I ran a little server on my PC, because at the time I had a um, DSL that no one else had, so I had a relatively fast connection. Back then it was nothing. It was like 300K. <laughs> but at the time it was so much better than um, the dial-up that you know I could actually run a server. And I, I also enjoyed, uh, what else? Uh, Unreal Tournament was Good too. Oh man, Unreal Tournament was my jam. I'm yeah. telling you, I would sit up there in the towers and sniper everybody. They hated me. <laughs> hated me. And like the original Team Fortress, that was that was great. And then when they came out with you know Team Fortress Two and stuff like that. But yeah, I'm a, I'm a relative noob to um, gaming. I mean, I did Quake. I just never. Well, I did Rainbow Six. I did mm. a thing, few things with friends, but for the most part, I did solo play. But yeah. Battlefront, so Battlefront's the first game I've really played in 10 years, mm. and I'm hooked. To me, there's like two categories of first-person shooter games. There's like the all-out deathmatch where you've got a bunch of people running around, gathering power-ups, and then you know laying waste to everybody. And then you've got the ones like – my son is totally into the um, Call of Duty, and those – they're very much more – 
tactical and like one shot and you're dead or almost type of things. And I don't like those as much. I don't like having to like respawn every 10 seconds. And Well, that's pretty much what Battlefront yeah, is. Yeah, that's the one thing I'm kind of leery about is, is that whole concept. Battlefront is very much like run in there, try to shoot someone and get out as fast as you can. Yeah. Battlefront has the whole Star Wars theme applied to it. So that's the whole. Which makes it awesome. It's yeah. so awesome. You should play it. I'm addicted. I I seriously, if I get like an hour to myself, I'm playing it. <laughs> yep. It's so Although bad. Although I, I am taking a break. So last night or two nights ago, downloaded King's Quest. What? Wow. <laughs> Who Classic. you got? Did you guys play King's Quest when you were kids? Yes. I, yeah, of I remember it. Yeah. All right. So Sierra Online is back. Hmm. Activision brought it back, and they did a remake. Not a an exact remake. It's more of a, a Princess Bride type configuration where a grandfather, Graham, who is the protagonist in the original series, is retelling uh, stories from his youth to his granddaughter. Mm-hmm. And then you you live out the stories he's telling on the screen. But the whole kind of the basic flow of the game, right, the idea of moving from screen to screen, taking actions on objects, the kind of the base whole adventure genre it recaptures that whole genre very well. But the graphics, it really does play like it is a, a real-time animated movie. Wow. It's very well executed. Hmm. Good sense of humor. Solid gameplay. I'm totally digging it. Cool. I actually got an email, I think, today that said from Blizzard that said whatever just came out and they're giving me like another seven days of free play and they can boost one of my characters up to level 90. And I'm like, the <laughs> <laughs> last time I played my characters was level 60. So, yeah, I don't... Uh, you know, that's why I, I stopped playing World of Warcraft. Because, like, I would play, and then with the kids and everything, like, I just wouldn't be able to play consistently. And I like games where I can get in and do, like, a 10-minute match and be out and be done. And, you know, I get my points and I level whatever. But with World of Warcraft, like, I just couldn't dedicate the time to redoing all of my stats and making sure everything was right and figuring out what was going on in the world. And, I mean, as much as I love World of Warcraft, I just don't have the time to dedicate to it. Yeah, I'm similar. I enjoyed it to the point where I could level up my character. But then when it became to do more, you had to go on these raids. That was like I was out because I didn't have time to spend hours in a dungeon or trying to coordinate with other people that type of thing when you have to get 40 people together to go in this raid and you know kill monster x or whatever i just i was out and then once they started like changing things around and uh, redoing all the stats and like redoing i had very meticulously leveled up my rogue so i could do all kinds of you know little moves and combinations and when they changed everything and I was like, I got to relearn all this. And plus I had all these extensions so I could yeah. arrange the buttons on the screen where I wanted and all these different uh, layouts and things. And once that was either wiped out because of a new build or whatever, I was like, I'd have to spend like a week just to figure that stuff out again. And I was like, nah, forget it. You know, maybe back in the day, back in the day when we had nothing else better to do. I mean, that game has been up for a long time, <laughs> a long time. You know, it really has. I mean, it came out long before – Ted and I were married. It was, yeah, it was like early 2000s. It was like 2000. Yeah. 
I mean, I applauded for sticking in for so long. But. I was I started that game early. I was in on this second beta. I was there when there was four thousand people on the one server that they had. That was fun. It was like undiscovered treasure. I kept telling people who were at the time they're like, "Oh, I'm going to play EverQuest too." I'm like. Pfft. EverQuest 2, that, that game was just, it blows. It's like, wait, just wait. <laughs> just wait till you see this game. And they, no, they didn't believe me, but eventually they came around. But yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it's been around a long I mean, I time. I love it. I love that game. I really, truly love it. I just don't have the time to dedicate to it. They managed to squeeze out a lot of use out of that. And I, I still, to this day, that there's two gaming environments that I feel like I actually lived in. One was, doom slash quake like some of those levels in doom the environments and the the atmosphere of that game was just so immersive and and then with quake 2 which to me was the spiritual successor to doom because quake 1 was to me it was like a technological experiment from id software but quake 2 uh i love that game so much but then world of warcraft came around and just every little realm and city was so well designed and it was just uh, that was a place that I really felt like I could just uh, experience as if I was like traveling there myself. They did a masterful job. And I think that's why it had such staying power. See, my game, my game was Asheron's Call. Oh, yeah. That, yeah. See, there's a whole bunch of games that were MMOs wow. that came out at a very similar time. That, that was the game. That was a Microsoft game. Yeah. Ted and I technically dated in that game. <laughs> Because I was at college and he was at home, and that was the only way we could get together without having to, you know, spend money on long-distance phone calls. Hmm. <laughs> it worked. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I married the man. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. And then we, you million, know. There are a million geeks right now going like, where is my Michelle? <laughs> <laughs> who, who will meet me online? Right. Well, and then, you know, we dated in World of Warcraft too. You know, whatever. You hear that, listeners? You too. Can have hope. <laughs> Michelle in Battlefront, what what's your favorite uh, game mode? I like to play cargo at the moment because you can get in and like you know because a lot of my challenges are around how many kills you can get with a certain weapon. Yeah. So I like to get in and just you know knock those out because you do you know you're doing a lot of face to face combat in cargo. Yeah. And I have a real issue. I'm having problems with. Any of the challenges that revolve around vehicles, like I just can't figure out how like to. Like Tie Fighters. Or no, like X- like, kind of like the ones that just say like get a certain amount of kills with any vehicle. Oh, like, I the can't. Trick is the trick for that is Fighter Squadron. See, and I've tried that, and I guess I'm just really horrible at it because I can't get anything. Like I think I'm getting kills in the game, and then it just tells me I've only gotten one. It's the, here's the trick. Kills against the AI don't count. Well, how do I know if I'm getting the AI or not? A player's name appears above their ship. So when you yeah, when you target them... you're not getting close enough to the ship to see that, right? I don't know. No, I even really... from far off. Even from far off. If you just hover your crosshairs over them, uh-huh. if they're a human player, you'll see a player name. If they're AI, they're just nothing. Okay, but well... Yeah, like, I'll go through and I'll it. kill, like, 14... AI ships and then one player and I only get, even though I got 15 kills, I only get one, technically I only got one kill, which blows, but that's how it works. I hate that mode. I hate it so much. So I always, whenever like the challenge comes up to do a vehicle one, I always just choose a different one. (laughs) I just can't do it. 
Yeah, no, I've given up on Fire Squadron. I started on Fighter Squadron because it was a really good way of leveling up quick. Because you can you can score pretty decent points. But I'm telling you, we should be playing online. I know. Like, I don't have Xbox. I only have PlayStation. I'd love to play with someone. I'd love to play with a partner. I'd love to play where I can actually talk to the person while I play. They don't have that option on Xbox. I don't know what it is about their party system, but you can't do that in the game. Like, you have to do it through the Xbox. You can't do it through Battlefront, which is really stupid. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, you have to you have to create your party through the Xbox party system. You can't create a party in the game, and there's no chat system within the game. PlayStation works the same way, right? I think so, yeah. I don't see why they would do it any different between consoles. Yeah. I think that's a, a failure on their part, because... You know, when you go in and you play the game, you're playing as rebels or you're playing as, you know, the Imperials. Why can't you speak to all the people that are on your team if you wanted to? I know. But sometimes I play and there are people who are kicking serious butt. And I think some of the people who are kicking serious butt are coordinating with other players. Right. Like they're not just lone wolves. Well, and you can see that, especially like during cargo, when like four of them go in to just grab the one thing, you know? Right, right. No, I agree. I would like to party up with people, too. But I have no friends on Xbox, so. <laughs> I'm on Xbox. Yeah. yeah, but you don't play Battlefront. Yeah, well, why don't you play uh, Call of Duty? Oh, I don't like those kind of games. I don't either, but my son's on there all the time. It says it's me, but it's him. <laughs> <laughs> but again, it's because Battlefront, you can get in and play like a 10-minute you know, or 15-minute match and be done. Yeah, yeah, that's the best part. That's yeah, the best I can't part, do I, I really like, like an hour campaign. I can't do that. Yeah, even Walker Salt, like Walker Salt, is routinely like a twenty, twenty-five minute game. Right. I guess the last thing I'll mention about gaming, maybe the last thing, is that uh, there's this rumor that's kind of floating around that there's going to be a revved version of the Xbox One coming out this summer. I'm curious to see what that's about. Whether it's just a slimmer version or or what that's going to be but well there's also a rumor about a new ps4 i heard that one i think every gaming console and gaming company is is getting on the virtual reality bandwagon mm. i think they're beefing their units to handle uh, goggles and devices and things mm. of that nature. i don't think either of them at their current level of technology are anywhere close to what they need to be for vr I mean, you look at the Definitely specs. Not. You look at the specs for the uh, Oculus and the other one, whatever it is. Okay, so we have, have the Oculus. Oh my God, you have the Get Oculus. <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> oh, what, am, what? What am I saying? Of course you have the Oculus. Of course we do. <laughs> so we have it, and it's super weird. You, I can't believe you've been like burying the lead on this for how many weeks now? <laughs> Tell us about this. It's so weird. It's. I'm coming over to your house tomorrow. I have to see this firsthand. (laughs) It's just, it's disturbingly weird. But awesome? I don't even know if I can classify it as that. It's just so, it's just weird. (laughs) So I've done, you know, the Samsung Galaxy, I guess. I I don't even know what all the devices are. But I saw the one where you, you, the phone drops into goggles. And that was amazing. Like yeah, but even that was stupid. <laughs> Are you talking about the one that like the they came out one? with for Star Wars and everything? Mm, no, 
I don't think so. I have no idea. My friend brought it to work. It was pretty impressive. Like, I just did the demo stuff. Like, this is the, you're floating in the ocean, and whales are cruising by you, and manta rays, and it's extraordinary. It really is. You're like, it's, you're in Ready Player One. You're like, I'm in the future. <laughs> yeah, but is it, I mean, that's what the Oculus is. You just put your phone in there. Right. Right. So, yeah, that's what we have. So, the problem I have with it is because I get migraines really easily. So I can't watch it for an extended period of time because it really, you know, messes with your eyes. Yeah. Well, what games are you playing? Because there is sort of like a limited amount of stuff that really. Well, I haven't really played anything. I've only done some of the demo things like, you know, looking at some of the the galleries that they have where you can go and like be in the middle of the caves or, Mm -hmm. you know, you're in some beautiful landscape and you can look in the 360 view and well, not really 360, but like all over. What's super weird about it is when you look down mm-hmm. and you don't see your own body. Oh, yeah. That's what throws you off is because, you know, you're not there. So, you know, in reality, when you look down, you would see your own body. But here you are in this VR world and you're not there. So that's <laughs> You clearly have not done VR porn. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> no, I, will probably... I would never do that. Really? You would never? You would never do that. I'm so, yeah, no, never, never. I would never. I, it would be, we would be among the first three things I do. <laughs> Not because, only because, a curiosity. I mean, hello. <laughs> but I would okay. only do it once and I would never do it again. I swear. Lies. <laughs> but Now, have you guys read what Ready Player One? I have not. Not yet. Oh. I know I should. I know I should. I'm still it's trying to get through list. the Game of Thrones books. I mean, it, it's, oh, put, put those down, Brian. Put <laughs> yeah, those I down. gave up on those. Never finish down. those. That's a pipe dream. Ready Player One. You got okay. First of all, as gamers, as sci-fi nerds, it's required reading for all of you. Mm-hmm. Hey, wait a minute. I was told as a sci-fi nerd that Ender's Game was required reading, and I'm sorry, I never made it through it. No, no, no. This is I can't compare the two. Like I, I think Ender's Game is a great book. But Ready Player One is all about celebrating nerd pop culture. Hmm. The number of Star Wars references and the most obscure Star Wars references you can imagine, it's chock-a-block full of them. Plus, you have great Dungeons & Dragons references. I mean, the whole thing is built on top of gaming lore and gaming history. Like, it really is super, super fun. You'll read the book, and you're just like, when is Steven Spielberg's movie coming out? Because I want to see it right now. Yeah, it's coming. Yeah, I'll definitely check that out. I would put money on the table that if you read the first 15 pages, you wouldn't stop. Okay. I will put it higher up on my list after I read Aftermath. Yeah, it'll speak. It'll speak to you. Oh, no, no, don't read Aftermath. No, I have to. I feel the need to read this book. I know it's horrible. (laughs) I have been told it is horrible, but I feel I need to read it. All right. As long as you're going into it with that understanding. Okay. (laughs) Why is it so hard to have Star Wars books be decent? I feel like people try too hard and they try to stay within a certain like formula. You know, they really desperately want to stay within the Skywalker formula and it just ends up sucking because they want to include like every single character that ever existed in the movies. And you just can't do that. You've got to break out and you've got to come up with your own characters. And you just, 
you have to think outside the box and think outside the Skywalker universe. And people just refuse to do it. Well, yeah, like, so maybe, maybe it came up on a previous podcast, but my favorite series from the old one was uh, Rogue Squadron. Mm-hmm. I think that's partially because all the characters were new. I mean, it was Wedge Antilles. Wedge Antilles was kind of the main draw, mm-hmm. right? And Wedge Antilles is awesome, <laughs> but he's an unknown character. And so all the characters in the books were all new. So it was one of the few books that was in the universe, but not all about Luke and Leia and Han. I mean, there is the possibility to still stay within the Skywalker formula and be good. But a lot of the books that I've read in the past were so predictable. Like you knew that, you know, Luke was going to go off and he was going to have this adventure and he was going to get in trouble. But then, you know, because he's a Jedi, he would solve the problem and it would be awesome, you know, or, you know, Luke would go off to another world and try and find another force sensitive person. And then all of a sudden he would accidentally run into Han or (laughs) or some other person from within the universe. And you'd be like, well, why the hell are they there? But no, because we just got stuck in the same formula because somehow we had to, you know, at some point, Leia, Han and Luke always had to be doing something together, you know, or whatever Han and Leia were doing on like, two galaxies away had to somehow coincide with whatever Luke was doing on four galaxies away. You know, I just don't understand why people just can't let go. Yeah. The predictability is what makes them bad. Right. I was really hoping Aftermath was going to get good reviews and I really wanted to read it. Then when I read the reviews, I'm like, well, I can't justify spending my time reading it. But the book that's coming out. The Lost Stars. Is that the Leia book? Oh, no, there's another one. There's, I was reading something today. There's a book called Lost Stars that apparently is, is... Is that the romance? I don't know. Romance? What? There's a whole series of books they've authorized. But the one that's coming out soon and shortly is about Leia. And Brian, you'll hate it because it goes to seek to explain the origin of something. But this goes back <laughs> to investigate the break of Leia from the New Republic. Mm-hmm. And, oh, how, um, oh, okay. Like, yes, I don't know. that I'm... actually might be good. Well, no, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> the concept of the story could be good. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> we should probably really start talking about the movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I almost feel like I'm Force Awakened out at this point. <laughs> but we there's so many. There's so much other good content out there. Truly. You know, but let's, you know, about. but... Well, let's get the review done. We'll talk about our – we'll devote us an episode to our conjecture for our predictions and interpretations of the movie. All right. So Star Wars, where do we leave off last time? We left off with Han and Chewie leaving behind the barge that they were on and now they're heading to this other planet. Maz. Yeah. Maz. Whatever the name of the – is it the, what's the name? Well, that's I don't the know the name of the, of the planet. See, that's yeah. yeah I don't know the planet. See, that was one of those things. It's like it was again this midpoint part of the movie onward. This podcast is gonna you're gonna hear a lot of me going, man. I wish they had done blank. <laughs> so uh, we follow the Falcon and it lands uh, on this kind of foresty place. They head into wait. It was called. Hold on. It was called Taco Donna. That sounds Take like a-, a taco stand down the street. And if it's not, it should be. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it's or Taco Donna, Taco Donna, whatever. Taco. It's taco. surprising that it. no one 
knows what the name of them it is. It's a it's like a major part. But of I the think movie. when he said it, he said it so like quietly that it wasn't that important. <laughs> I gotta say, general observation about the movie in general: none of the planets except Jakku are memorable in their name. Mm-hmm. I can't remember any of the names of the planets except Jakku. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's a bad thing necessarily, but I find it very curious. Yeah. Obviously, considering, you know, Ray got left on Jakku, so there's probably some significance to it. So anyhow, they land on this planet, and, and, and the landing itself was beautiful. Again, one of those fantastic bits of effects where the Falcon is flying over the water and the uh, repulsion engines or whatever it was that was, like, creating the spray and the dispersion of the water beneath it was fabulous, wonderful effect. Loved it. There's so much that was like really going well. The tone and parts of the characters that were all in sync with what you expected them to be were just great. However, then they go into basically what was a large castle slash cantina. And oh, let me let me interrupt because there was one line going into that that really bugged me, and that's when Han tells them, "Don't stare at anything." And like, stare at what? Any of it? As if these characters have never seen aliens before. <laughs> like they just got off a ship right. with Ragnars grabbing them and nearly consuming them alive as if the, what they're about to walk into a room and what they're going to see is going to be shocking. And there was nothing shocking about it. The, yeah. Yeah. That's absolutely true. I mean, that'd be something if it was like someone they abducted from earth, like from guardians of the galaxy and or something. And they're like, okay, kid, don't, don't stare at that guy over there because he's got, you know, tentacle eyes or whatever. But yeah, you're absolutely right. That was very strange. So they're in this sort of bar slash cantina, and I just got a lot of sense of it being a little bit trying too hard to hit some of those beats of familiarity. I accepted a lot of it to that point, but that was the first time I was like, eh, that's that seems like you're you're trying a little hard. But the whole point of them going to this place is so they can meet this new character. What was your impressions of what was basically a a Yoda? (laughs) I didn't even think about that. (laughs) But you're so right. I don't know if you guys have seen the the YouTube channel, the the true trailers or Mm -hmm. Yes. I know exactly what you're talking about. I don't remember what they're called. Honest trailers. Honest trailers. Yes, honest trailers. And they basically say the same thing. They basically say that this entire movie is you know a rehash of a new hope you know and okay i don't disagree with that (laughs) but i totally didn't make the yoda connection at all i must have been having a blonde moment well you your hair's not blonde right now that's not fair it is actually at this moment (laughs) oh it's not pink at this moment it is not pink at this moment but it will be in a couple weeks okay (laughs) well you know we could rehash. Like I feel like on the on the subject of how Awakens is so reminiscent of Star Wars. There's so many opportunities to give the movie that criticism that um, I think it can just be said once because <laughs> it is it is egregious. But there is one thing I heard this week or last about on the specific subject. Mm-hmm. But I believe it was an interview with J.J. Abrams, and it was essentially saying that it was very purposeful. Yep, and that part of the intent was to to hit the reset button in in many people's minds to kind of take people back in a very literal sense to the beginning 
to play to people's um, nostalgia so that the next two movies can really be different. Right. And I don't totally know if I buy that logic mm-hmm. or understand that logic completely. I don't grok it. But I do, I think, understand where that comes from to some extent. Yeah. I think they went too far in making it too, yeah, too I, simple. I read that quote too and I had the exact same response, which was I totally get that and that makes sense. But there are so many things that you could have not done as much of or just not done at all to hit all those beats. There is, you know, there is one thing someone did say that I think was very interesting. And that was, you know, when George Lucas made a new hope, he drew a lot of inspiration from the movies of his childhood, dogfight movies, samurai movies, serials and Westerns. And a lot of the, of the scenes were actually shot for shot remakes in many respects. And what J.J. Abrams did was exactly the same thing. It just so happens that the movies that influenced him the most just happened to be Star Wars. Mm -hmm. And so when he went to go make a movie in a similar fashion, the movie he drew inspiration from was was essentially a prequel to the movie he was making. And thus, it felt so formulaic. But I thought that was kind of an interesting take on why perhaps the movie had such a similar feel. Yeah. Before we get too far, I don't want to get too far down that road because they're still sort of like summarizing and giving a synopsis of everything. So Ray wanders down to the bowels in the basement of this this place and stumbles upon well that doesn't stumble upon. She's called. There's definitely some sort of calling to her and she goes and she finds the box that contains the uh Luke's original lightsaber. She hears a child's voice. Is it a foregone conclusion that she's hearing her own voice? I assume That's yes. That's I assumed, yeah. Okay. All right. I mean, because in the flashbacks, you know, the same child's voice is hers screaming, so. And I read somewhere, though I haven't verified this, that the box itself was the Obi-Wan Kenobi box from his hut on Tatooine. When okay, first... now I have to go back and watch that. Maybe. I, that might, I'll go back and watch. Uh, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. That would be interesting. Because if that is the case, I... I kind of like that in that someone has really gone through a lot of effort to acquire some Skywalker relics and not just happen to come upon this lightsaber from wherever. Yeah, no one wants to talk about how creepy Maz is, how she's some kind of stalker collecting (laughs) artifacts from Luke. (laughs) No, no, because, I mean, she doesn't – that's not how she says it. Of course not. No, I mean, (laughs) how would she (sighs) – I'm teasing. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. She's not at all. However many hundred years old this Maz character is, and you know, just she says, "Well, that's a story for another time." Well, sure. (laughs) How convenient that 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 you have this, and you're not you're not going to tell us about it. Oh, but come on, Bart. That's exactly the kind of thing that you love. I love that. Right? Like the fact that there's this whole story there that is still yet to be discovered, and we're not going to waste anyone's time by, you know, going to this long expository about. Not that it doesn't sound like there's a cool story, but it just that it was brushed off so, yeah. It's kind of the same way I wasn't satisfied with how Poe was dropped and suddenly came back. It was very similar in that it just seemed like the line was just so abrupt. It was like, well, that's a story for another time. And don't worry, audience. Don't worry yourselves about this. We have this. This action scene coming up soon, so... Well, that <laughs> just means it gives them more content for the next movie, because, you know, 
Yeah, they well, need something to write into the next movie. Well, well, I'm sure they have plenty. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure the whole plot of the next movie is that how did Maz get the lightsaber? But well, um, I want to know. Well, sure. So there's that, and then there. Um, the other thing, which I, I thought was just really just annoying, was um, C3PO when he's like, "Oh, and I have this arm that's red. I'm not going to tell you how that happened." And it's just uh, right. I absolutely yeah. That was kind of stupid. Hated that. Hated it. And this is the things where you read afterwards lots of these uh, post-release comments from the director, from whoever, that, oh, yes, there's, you know, Anthony Daniels wasn't a fan, so the last shot has him with his gold arm back on again. And it's like, well, why the fuck did you have it there in the first place? It's It just – it was pointless. They could have wait, just – Wait, wait, wait. No, wait, wait, here's wait. my thing. Look, it's fine it's fine if he has a red arm. It's fine if something happened, you know, between the last movie and this movie to him. Mm-hmm. That's fine. Don't make his first line be, oh, oh, yeah, by the way, I have a red arm. Exactly. It was, you know, just don't even mention it at all. It was like the don't look at anyone too long line or whatever you just said, Bernie. It was it, those middle section there was just. Well, okay. All right. So on that same subject, here's another line that really bothers me. And that was when uh, on the on the cargo ship when Han borrows the or maybe it was in the fight where he borrows the bowcaster from Chewie. Mm-hmm. He fires and then he turns to Chewie and he's like, "I really like this thing." Yeah, and it's like, like, "Are you never done it before? Are you fucking kidding me? You've never fired that before in like thirty or forty years?" Right, exactly. I was like, "What?" <laughs> it would have made so much more sense if someone else had picked it up and done that, but for him to do it, I was like, "What?" Yeah, maybe maybe it's a, a hidden code among smugglers, like don't touch each other's guns. I don't know. Uh, yeah, but it was one of those lines where I'm like, really, please. Yeah, but anyway, so back to the lightsaber and the calling thing. She's being called, and I'm thinking, well, I'm thinking a couple things because you know I'm already in this phase where I'm like, well, we just saw a cantina and we just saw a sage, old, miniature-sized alien creature. And now we're getting a, a beckoning call. And so I'm thinking, all right, they're hitting all all the little notes here. So is this going to be like another like um, dark forest tree like on Dagobah? And what is going to be down there? The reveal of it being a lightsaber was okay. But I really had hoped that it would be something a little bit more than just that. Yeah, but it's Anakin's lightsaber. It's Luke's lightsaber. It's not just any old lightsaber that's calling her. Right. But now we're like into the point where it's like, is is a lightsaber like a wand, like in Harry Potter, where it's like... Well, yeah, because they make it themselves. Well, Anakin made it himself, not Luke. But, you know, they have to do a whole quest to be able to make their own lightsaber, right? Well, supposedly. There's so many things that we accept as canon, which, you know, I don't know how much... We just assign that to be true and how much of it is. You know what I mean? It's like, it's interesting to me, the things that do end up being like actual movie canon. Like in this movie, they're like, oh, there's a YT freighter that took off. And I'm like, oh, that's, I'm versed with the different Star Wars freighter ship types, especially because I play the X-Wing tabletop game. And I know that the YT freighter is what the Millennium Falcon is. And But they could have easily have just have said something else. I know that it was a nice little nod to the fact that that is something that's sort of like in the extended canon. But the whole how a lightsaber is made and, you know, whether there's a little jewel inside or whatever. You know, I don't know how much it's of that is. It's not a jewel, Brian. It's oh, a crystal. No, absolutely canon. There's no question. 
So, all right, I'll chime in here. My son got one of the Force Awakens, like, dictionaries or visual dictionaries for Christmas. Mm -hmm. And it does reference a lot of these things that I think you're referring to with regards to, say, lightsabers and how they're made and whether we take those for granted. I think it's it's pretty much accepted that the mechanics of the universe are sound. Mm Mm-hmm meaning like the machines and how they're made and how they function. It's just simply the narrative arcs and the stories and and what's happened to characters that's all been swept off the table. But Kylo Ren, they reveal, they don't talk about this in the movie, I doubt they ever will, but in the visual dictionary, they talk about how Kylo Ren's lightsaber, the crystal, has a crack in it. Mm -hmm. Right, it's unfinished. Right, which is what forces the crosshatch saber. So he had, in order, when he found that crystal and he used it, he had to construct it such that the crack could i don't know but the point is is that they do mention this in you know in the in the visual dictionary as if oh like this is here's the inside of his lightsaber here's a picture that they've drawn of the cracked crystal they talk about how that how that functions and why this lightsaber is unique as a result etc which also goes to demonstrate how kylo is not fully dark and not light the crack represents his All his crap that he's dealing with because he can't, you know, I mean, he's all angsty because he can't decide whether he wants to follow the light or the dark. And he's torn between both. And that's, you know, think about it. It's deep, man. It's really deep. It is very deep. (laughs) It is deep. But the lightsaber, going back to Luke's lightsaber, I think we will see episode, the next episode, and we will look back upon it calling to Ray. Very differently. Once we understand Ray's origin in the universe, if we answer the question, who is Ray's parents, mm-hmm. for example, mm-hmm. then it may reveal why the lightsaber spoke to her. Or it may not. It may simply be that the lightsaber was really, really, really strong in the Force, and yeah. she was drawn to it as a result. It may it may because it's her father's lightsaber. It might be because it's someone, you know, because yeah. she is a Skywalker. Who knows? Yeah. I don't know. My sentiment could change, but at this juncture, I'm not a fan of the lightsaber being this totem of saber sensitivity beacon thing. It's too much like the Harry Potter wand. I like the lightsaber just being a tool and not being force. Because then you start getting into like, well, uh, I mean, can droids have the force? Or I mean, I don't know. It's it's I don't know. The thing I was thinking of when they she first started going down into that sub level was again harkening back to the Dagobah dark tree and the dark side of the forest that was a place of evil, as Yoda said. And I'm like, well, is there that kind of place in this building in this um, this world? And apparently not. But it just made me later once. I'd seen the movie once or twice, and I was thinking about the things that I liked and didn't like. And I was like, well, the visit to that one planet seemed to have a couple lines that didn't quite work. And like, I, they kind of stretched kind of hard with the cantina bit. And this is, you know, quote, what I would have done is I would have had them, if they're really looking for Luke Skywalker, I would have had them like say, all right, we're going to go look at old Jedi temples or old Jedi things that had old, old, like pre episode one ish sort of, I mean, go back. Yeah. But all those were destroyed. That's part of the canon is that the empire destroyed all of that. That's true. But that's why, uh, but that's why their mission, their mission was to return the droid. They didn't know where the resistance was. 
I don't know where this goes in terms of like the mission of, of the droid and the resistance. This might just shake up the whole latter half of the movie, which actually wouldn't be a problem with me because, again, I didn't like the latter half as much. But I would have had them, part of the movie would have been, where's Luke Skywalker? Maybe they find Maz somewhere and says, she's like, try this place. And they go to this old temple. And the old temple has, because it's a Jedi place, it's got parts that are emanating in the good side of the Force and somehow the bad side of the Force, sort of like how it was on Dagobah. And the thing about uh, Empire Strikes Back and that scene with the, the tree that I've always found fascinating is when Luke first, like, slips down into the roots of that tree, there's, like, stonework there. There's, like, parts of a, a structure. Yes. And I've always been, like, curious about what that was about. And no, one, no, I don't. <laughs> I don't want to know. I don't need to know everything. I'm just curious about it. So I was thinking, you know, what if there was like something like that on a Jedi temple or something? And, and that would make sense for if Kylo Ren was also searching for Luke Skywalker, he would also be following along the same kind of breadcrumb trail of, well, I'm going to try to find these different places. I would look at if there is a rumor of there once being a Jedi temple here, hundred years ago or a thousand years ago, I'm going to go there. And that would have made sense for them to be there at the same time. I'm with you on that. I like that idea. And I generally believe that there were so many different ways the story could have told and you could have ended up in the same place. Right. You could have skipped Starkiller base and you could have skipped a lot of the very kind of repetitive elements. I agree. I like the idea that it could have been um, a, a, a kind of a cat and mouse cloak and dagger kind of chase race to the finish yeah. kind of situation. And they, they went through a, a lot of variations of this story. As And I've not read every interview with some of the screenwriters, but I've read some of them. And, you know, there was like original plot points where I think they were trying to find parts of the old Death Star that was destroyed over Endor and like part of an ocean or something. And so some of it was underwater and they were trying to find clues from that, maybe they're trying to, I can't remember exactly, maybe they were trying to like find parts of the Emperor's throne room that had been blown up and then sunk into a one part of uh, indoors lakes or oceans or something. Yeah. So there's there's lots of things that they abandoned in terms of like possible plot points. But if there's one thing I truly wish they had not done as much as it's the whole Starkiller-based thing, because that, when I saw that, there was a, a definite deflation of my overall opinion of what was going on i was like oh man it just it was too much of a copy of things that i'd seen before and the fact that i just frankly i you know this might be nitpicky but i didn't understand from a science perspective since we're talking about science how the heck that was supposed to work they fired the weapon and you know han and chu are looking up and they see these streaks across the sky and i'm thinking are they in the same system as the that because that would be kind of strange for them to see that uh and is the planet they're firing on also in the same system or i didn't understand that concept at all it, it was a little bit too much for me to fully buy yeah on top of it being yet another planet busting planet sized weapon the thing about i was tired of from some of the other movies was seeing tatooine yet again and now i'm like okay i'm seeing a, a super planet destroying weapon yet again please stop Please stop. I have a hard time with timeline. The way the movie runs, it seems like it's all, it was all done in one day or two days. Mm -hmm. And that makes me nuts. I need more of a like, okay, it took us like two weeks to get to this planet. Yeah. Don't create a novelization of the, the two-week trip from Jakku 
to Maz's where they all right. sat, played hollow chess. It'll be so exciting. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that I began to question was the whole idea of who the First Order was and who the Resistance was, and and I still don't understand. And I have a sense that that Leah book is supposed to address some of this stuff about what who's what. <laughs> but I was very confused how the First Order on uh, Starkiller Base had oodles and oodles of technology, troops, just shiny equipment, just legions of troops. They're destroying major planets that obviously aren't funding the First Order because why would they destroy the people that are giving them resources? And I'm like, wait, how is it that they have all this? I didn't understand that at all, especially later on when the resistance is like, okay, we're going to go attack them with our 10 ships <laughs> and uh, half of our fleet's gone. I'm like, wait, what? You have 10 ships? I mean, you could go to a used starship lot and like probably pick up 10 ships. I didn't understand how they had no Navy whatsoever. I didn't get that. That unfortunately is part of the books too. Well, believe me, believe me, I don't need Phantom Menace level politics about where things come from and stuff, but it just really just didn't seem to fit. I mean, the empire was built on the back of, you know, the old Republic was squashed and the empire took all those resources and basically used that to regain and control their power. But after they were defeated, sure, they splintered off, but they're not going to have that same access of, of resources anymore. Well, they do and they don't. They do and they don't. Apparently, there were some planets that were aligned very heavily towards the Empire, and remnants of the Empire sought refuge on those planets, and some of those planets because were very industrialized. Like the Battle of Jakku, apparently, I'm not an authority on this because I haven't read all the books, but this is kind of what I've gathered. The Battle of Jakku was the official end of the Empire, but the remnants of the Empire persisted and continued to fight. The New Republic. And the New Republic, though, did not want to be militaristic. They were really trying to differentiate themselves from the Empire. So they disbanded most of the fleet and most of the military. And if I'm not mistaken, Leia had a huge had huge misgivings about this. Duh. And That's so the stupidest she, idea ever. <laughs> Why would you so do she, that? she created the resistance uh, to continue to fight and to take an aggressive right. stance With their against the Empire. Yeah. That's the story I've heard too. And if there, you know, the scene where the Republic planets are being blown up, the woman that you see standing there apparently is Leia's ambassador or liaison. Yeah, yes, her liaison between the New Republic and between her. Mm -hmm. So she was there to negotiate a deal between the Resistance and the New Republic. And of course, you know, she ends up dying as the planets blow up. Yeah. But that's apparently what the significance of that woman was. Yeah. Okay. Well, I thought that scene was just a sh because, frankly, they blew up a planet, and I had no connection whatsoever to that planet. The only reason why you gave a, a slightest bit of caring was they showed people looking up in fear and being like, oh, no, we're about to die. There was no one that you – no character we knew that was on there. There was nothing. And so for me, that was not a great way to make us invested. I don't know if I feel the same way about – Maz's planet, I forget, Taco, the, the, the Taco Shack mm -hmm. planet. Um, I kind of like that part of the story. Everything that happens after that 
is so derivative. It's fun, and I let myself enjoy it, but I'm like, I've seen this movie before. Mm-hmm. It's great and all, because it's Star Wars, and ooh, a lightsaber. Mm-hmm. But uh, after that, I just kind of have to say, like, you know what? At this point, I'm letting it go. I'm going to enjoy the movie. But critically, this is part of the movie that I'm just like, it really, really bugs me. Yeah. It's so derivative. It's just the bridge too far. Right. Like, all the others are, are echoes of the past. Mm-hmm. This is like Jesus Christ, really? Yeah. I mean, it's so it's so derivative that you have to develop dialogue just to, just to justify its existence, yeah. right? You have to call attention to the fact that, yeah, we're doing this again. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> like, and actually, you mean it's another Death Star? Yeah, it's like a, no, this is bigger. I'm like that doesn't count. Yeah, that doesn't count. Yeah, it's still a freaking Death Star. Yeah, it's another Death Star, basically. Which again, if I don't want to harp on this too much, but imagine the amount of resources that must be put into creating a Death Star out of a planet, out of a planet. And all I could think of was the shiny floors of that Star Destroyer, and like the legions of troops and their shiny armor. And the young millennials who are manning the the consoles of the Starkiller base, and the fact that they have Finn, who's like since childhood been trained to be a stormtrooper. So obviously, there's like this whole industrial complex of the First Order that's been going on for decades. And it all could have been solved if, in the opening crawl, I just didn't say like from the ashes of the Empire, because that makes it sound like the Empire was dead. From the ashes is sort of like Voldemort. I'm going to slowly rebuild from having nothing to assuming power again. This makes it sound like, nah, we had a bump, but we're basically still as powerful and with as much resources as we have. I think that's the th- This is perhaps why every Star Wars movie is somehow doomed. Because <laughs> there are people like us pushing the glasses up the bridge of our nose, going, yes, but in episode number 17, Han said this. And then you're like, and this contradicts, the incontinuities are too much. I mean, we can't, we we try so hard to let ourselves enjoy the movie, but we can't uh, escape the fact that we're we're so caught up in this universe. I think it's, it's no, like I don't, I don't think failed. it's, I don't think it's, it's as doomed. I think it would have been easy to let off the throttle a little bit and not do something as blatant as another Death Star. And to maybe just tone down the absolute power of the First Order, or just change that crawl just a little bit to make it not be as out of sync with what I kind of expected the First Order to be. Again, back to, quote, how I would have done it, I would have had the the First Order be, yeah, have them have some bits from the old Empire, but also have a little bit of rough edge to it. Like, yeah, they got a Star Destroyer, but oh yeah, they also have some other ship or group of ships that they kind of just commandeered because they did. So there's just a little bit more roughness to it. As it is, it's they're so uniform and they're so powerful. And it just seems like if you, they were the Empire they got their asses handed to them on Endor, they would have had a little bit of more problems than just, you know, spiffing up their TIE fighters and giving a different paint job. Oh, all of the criticisms of the old movies even get carried over to this one. Well, I have an idea, guys. Let's build a giant weapon, but instead of a trench, <laughs> there's a a big hole um, with some oscillators. And if you blow those up, boom, planet's dead. <laughs> they didn't even have to think too hard about it. It's like a planet that big has to have oscillators. <laughs> of course. Of course it does. <laughs> Yeah, uh, they did everything bigger and better, but they didn't do it necessarily better. Um, and we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, but 
man, that the attack on the Starkiller base with the X-Wings, that was totally unmemorable to me. The trench stuff in the Return of the Jedi with going through the superstructure was a million times better. There was nothing I really recall from this movie being like, oh, wow, that was cool when Poe did whatever, flying through whatever generic tubing. Or there was no like other pilot that had some sort of Porkins, you're about to die or wedge, save me type of moment. It was all just very generic. Yeah, that's that's a good point. They should have they should have lost one of those characters, Nian Neb. <laughs> love love him to death, but there should have been some greater sacrifice. And there might have been, but again, again, this is where we we hear people talk about the movie afterwards. And they're like, well, so and so was in it, but he didn't want to he didn't want to die, and because the guy that uh, is J.J. Abrams' friend, the guy that's in been in a lot of stuff, he was in Heroes and whatever. Greg, yeah, Greg Grunberg. He said there's a line for him. We're supposed to say something like. I'm hit, but he said, I'm not going to do that because I mean, that means you're going you're gonna to kill me. So he, he didn't do it. <laughs> so uh, they did a lot of editing. And that's the other thing you can do with CG is you can say, okay, the pacing here is weird because they got the, the saber fight down here on this part. And over here, we got this other thing, but we need to extend the space fight a little bit. Well, let's just, you know, have this thing swoop that way and have it swoop that way. It doesn't really do anything. It, it doesn't like tell a tale of, you know, the scene. It just adds something to buffer. Anyway, so I think we're actually going to come to a, a little bit of a stop here because uh, we've been going for a while and actually had a good discussion, uh, mostly about gaming, but... We'll get through this movie. <laughs> we will get through this movie. <laughs> we said it was going to take a long time and it's going to take it. So, um, yeah, we'll uh, continue next time. And um, I think at that point, we'll get to some of the things about what might have been seen as either surprising or controversial or whatever. So we'll get to that next time, I guess. So thanks again for everyone for listening. The last time we talked about old social media platforms, there's this new one you're talking about, Talk Show? Talk Show. So a friend of mine who used to be the VP of product at Twitter, yeah. I used to work for him at Six Apart all those many years ago. He just released a new app called Talk Show, mm-hmm. which is a essentially public texting. So you get a bunch of friends together, you create a talk show, and you guys can chat with one another, and everyone else gets to watch. And then you can invite people into the talk show from the community uh, that you want. But like if during the week we want to share links with each other or talk and have reactions to uh, stuff that's happening on the uh, interwebs, mm-hmm. talk show seems like it could be a fun way to do that. Cool. All right. Well, I'll set one up and we'll uh, hope that people actually observe. And kids, it's a new app. So, you know, yeah. you'll, you'll be cool because you'll be the only one doing it. <laughs> <laughs> Great. So, again, you guys can find us on Facebook. Everyone's got the Facebook. And you can send us email, gcorum at gmail.com. And our phone number, 301-358-5175. And uh, I also want to mention thanks to Skiznot for our theme music. He did that way back when, and we're still using it. So thank you for that. And thank you guys. I, uh, I'm i really enjoying these uh, geek talks. They, uh, they rile me up. <laughs> <laughs> they rile up my geekness. They do. They do. It's it's a lot of fun. Yes, it is. So thanks. I need it. Yeah. You know, you can only talk to toddlers for so long. <laughs> and now you talk to grown-up toddlers. Yes. Yes. <laughs> well, as you all know, my youngest is superhero obsessed lately. So at least I get to talk to her about that. Mm. Cool. I'm sure she's a fan of Deadpool. Oh, dude, I totally watched that movie finally. Yeah. So inappropriate. (laughs) 
I mean, to the, all the people that took their children to see this movie, you be stupid. <laughs> oh my pretty, god. Inappropriate is pretty a diplomatic way of, of framing something. <laughs> I was just, oh, yeah, it's very inappropriate. <laughs> well, I think that brings us to the end of this one. Thank you guys again. And until next time, the jump clock is running. Catch you next time. Bye. Bye, Bye everyone. Next time on the Geek Quorum. I'm a big fan of your podcast. I love it because I'm a big nerd. And <laughs> I D&D, which qualifies me as an absolute nerd. We should do a uh, Geek Junior Quorum. We should. That's a fabulous idea. Do you want to listen to what we record? Yes, I right. do. Okay, you can listen to It is an honor to serve you, my liege. Oh, my God. <laughs> 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 I love <Love> him. it. <laughs>